You'll never find two guys that love talking about golf more than me and Tim. Oh, you might think you would, but you wouldn't. <laughs> uh, here's the funny thing about doing a show with Tim, is that we, we could record our phone calls, and they could be shows too. Exactly. <laughs> like, oftentimes when this show's over, after we hit, you know, stop, then we could do this other after show. Uh, but this is it officially. It's Swing Thoughts. Welcome to episode 201. What the hell? Coach Tim along with Golf's spiritual leader, bringing you into the, the beginning of on our way to show 300. It could happen. I don't know about you, Timmer. Uh, and I'm being honest. Uh, did you have a, an idea that we could be doing this not just for 200 shows, but I think this is it started in December of 2015. And now here we are. <laughs> As my wife will attest, my brain doesn't work like that. <laughs> I don't plan. <laughs> I just It's just stuff happens and like, oh, okay, that worked out. No, I had zero idea we'd be joining on this long about well, this yeah. amazing game of golf. Thanks to NeuroPeak Pro, our newest sponsor. If you're looking for uh, help with precision breathing, and uh, I'm going to uh, bring that back. I've got a bit of an anecdote later in the show about you know the concept of entering the zone, and maybe we'll even have a, a quick chat about that and what that means with our uh, special guest today. Hall of Famer, friend of show. We'll introduce him in a second. Thanks to NeuroPeak Pro, as well as JWApparelInc.com. You know, great uh, clothing line they represent. And go check them out. And, of course, our title sponsor now going on. uh, I think I played the clip. They joined us very, very shortly after we started the podcast. And, of course, I'm talking about TaylorMade. You know, all summer long, everyone, uh, including yesterday, the first thing people want to see is what that driver. Can I have a look at that? The carbon wood driver, a better energy and uh, better energy transfer, and more ball speed. To learn more about TaylorMade products, and you know, like I know we they there are friends, but if you if you can get into a TaylorMade fitting center, it is going to make the whole experience. Um, just come alive for you, and you can you can do that. Um, TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Don't forget, they also make great stealth irons, and and the balls that we play, the TP5 and TP5X, trusted by players like Morikawa, McElroy, O'Connor, <laughs> and Glassman. Yeah, so I'm going to tag on to that. I just got off a call with a client five minutes ago. And he got himself a stealth three wood. Nice. And he's saying, he says, really, my problem is now I'm hitting it so far, I don't know how to adjust now. <laughs> oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> exactly. I said, that's a great problem to have. That is the greatest problem to have. I just, uh, these irons are going so far. I don't like it. <laughs> now, anyway, um, on the, uh, oh, I was going to, in the summer of 2014, I'm not going to lie. I was going through. I was going through some things, and uh, I was introduced to this character. And the first couple of times we spoke, uh, I never told him what I was going through. I was actually going through a, a breakup, which I do from time to time. <clears throat> I was also drinking a lot, but I I had never up to that point started thinking about these things in 1995. 
It's the first time I ever read a book about the mental side of the game. But it wasn't until 2014 that I actually got a chance to speak to this um, mental performance coach. He works with tour players from all over the world. He is a, an expert in neuro-linguistics uh, programming, L- NLP, right? He's also a big cuddly bear who... <laughs> he's. Here's the thing. Here's what he is. If you were at a fair and you got to win like that big giant st- and you were walking around the exhibition, it's imagine that giant stuffed panda with a tailor-made hat. That's who Paul Doolin is. And on the 12th of March, 2016, this angel man le- uh, made his Swing Thoughts debut and here he is on episode 2001. By way of introduction, we say hello. To Paul Doolin. <laughs> panda bear. That's a good one. <laughs> Do panda bears lose hair? <laughs> when I um, I met Paul in 2014, and we, when we were using Skype in those days, right, Paulie? Yep. Yep. And then I think it was the summer <clears throat> of 2015. I, was still, I know this because I was still drinking and I was still smoking. I came down to Orlando, and after having a year worth of uh, meetings with Paul, on my computer, he walked into the range at uh, Orange County where we met, and I was like, I had no idea you were huge. <laughs> <laughs> I almost didn't recognize him. I'm like, you can't, this guy that I've been talking to seems a lot smaller because it was on a computer. Anyway, hi, Paul. Paul Dooland. Hi, boys. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you. And I guess, I guess, uh, I guess I know now. I'm a panda bear <laughs> due, due to my forehead going north. Yeah, there but, we go. Uh, yeah, no. What's what's cool about this is, uh, particularly on show two thousand and one, two hundred and one. Yeah, whatever it is. Yes, uh, mathematically challenged is that we've all known each other for a long, long time, and yeah. a key reason I coach now is because of you, pal. Uh, you mentored oh. me in doing this, so uh, it's it's just great to uh, be along. So, so what's new with you, man? What's 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 going on um, in terms of your coaching world? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I get that question a lot. It's like, what's new? Because it's, you know, it's a standard greeting, and it's, it's like an original question to ask in a podcast. Very original. Yeah. <laughs> um, same old. Um, you, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm super busy. Which, you know, and again, I'm saying that in a, in a, in a very grateful way. Um, just, just a lot of great people I work with. A lot of fun. So a lot of challenges too. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, I don't really have anything new going on to say. Um, it's just well, Howard probably has a way better opening question than I just did. There's so no need I'll- to be. There's no need to be. <laughs> Are you, we going to have our first fight on swing thoughts? No, I just I just feel I like know. I made a bogey on the first hole. Well, but I, okay. oh, yeah, but it's all in your head. You didn't make a bogey. You still haven't. You haven't even finished the hole. That's I will say that this first couple of minutes is really added value for your listeners. Oh, absolutely. This is why people love this show. <laughs> See, they think we, we say it's about the mental performance side of golf, but it's really about me and Tim just yelling about nothing. Um, well, I don't have a better or worse question, but what I would say maybe along the lines of what's new, not only um, it's great to hear that you're busy. I know you and I spoke within the last couple of months, so I know things yeah. are going well. But technologically... You know, even when we all started talking about these things years ago, you know, what Paul did and, and Tim used to say it was a bit a bit woo-woo because a lot of athletes wouldn't have thought that changing the way you think, the way you conduct your state management, there's one, there's a, the first dueling quote of the day, but 
they didn't didn't used to think these things were important. So I would ask, what's sort of new in the world that you occupy in terms of what you're talking to your players about? I wouldn't say that there's anything new. I mean, what what I would say is new in the in this world is just it's becoming a lot more mainstream. People yes. are openly talking about. You know, I, hey, I'm going to see my swing coach, then I'm going to see my mental coach, and no one's going mental coach. It's like, oh, yeah, of course, of course. It's like it's become sort of yes. almost up there in terms of being open with it, like fitness or nutrition or um, swing instruction or anything like that. Or, you know, decade, which is, you know, I know, Howard, you do a lot with that. And there's just there's advances in terms of people's open mindedness to different ways of improvement, which is, I think, a, a Hopefully that's a that's a reflection of our society because I think you know just the idea of you know mental wellness has become a lot more at the forefront even than the last I've seen it five years and of course maybe even more recently just with the pandemic and stuff so um, you know it's it's a good sign that people are willing to look at things that aren't necessarily all that tangible now with that said. Technology is evolving. I, I heard that you're using Neuropeak Pro, which is cool, um, because it's like now there's elements of these things that were abstract that can actually be measured through instruments, and um, you can track these things in, in data and things. You know, well, there's all sorts of technology now. I've used it for a long time. Sort of the first one I, that I knew of, knew of was um, um, M-Wave Heart Math. Uh, I still use that because I think it's an excellent uh, an excellent way to measure people in time. But um, I, I think it helps people to see the credibility of these things when you can see, hey, when I do think differently, that I, my brain waves do settle down in in certain in certain wavelengths, and and gives people some some evidence. And I think that's one of the things that helps. Just it's like TrackMan, you know. It's like, hey, I do I do you know square the face properly when I do this thing. And it helps give people feedback and affirmation that what they're doing has an effect, even mm-hmm. if they can't feel it. And that's the tricky part with some of this work is, you know, a lot of people do breathing exercises and they're like, well, I don't really feel all that much different. But then they reflect on it and go, you know, I didn't feel that different, but I didn't get mad today. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like, you know, just because you can't like, you know, do a couple of deep breaths and then feel like you're, you know, full of joy doesn't mean that it doesn't have an impact or at least take the edge off of the upper end of, of the spectrum of your emotional state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what strikes me is pretty interesting is that in many ways, we got to start off and said, well, you know, there's not much new, say, in, in developments, but it's like falling not back, but relying on a lot of that good stuff that's been around, you know, quite frankly, for centuries and centuries, like yeah. focusing on, say, breathing. And so many people hear things and they seem to, th- there's a sense that if something wasn't invented six months ago, uh, it's, it's passe. But breathing is such an important part of of what goes on in golf in terms of just the it's another tried and true way that we get connected with what's really going on. And it's a, it's a way to you know, kind of silence the inner critic or, or all the thoughts. Do you find that from time to time that just that piece around, say, breathing and awareness is something you kind of have to remind some of your clients about? Yeah, all the time. And it's it's funny. Um, there's, there's some people that are like, hey, you know, I need somebody around me to remind me to do things like I help. I, one of the things I help people with, for example, is that keep your eyes up. 
don't 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 look down that because looking down promotes internal dialogue and you know when you're in the wrong state that's never a good thing um so when you keep your eyes up that that supports some of the things we work on and they're like yeah i need some people to around me to you know support me keeping my eyes up and it's like it's not really the point the point is that you need you need to have an injunction that allows you to be aware that you're doing that so having ways to track oneself in these types of things is um is is essential so um being able to um have them monitor and measure it themselves and enhance their own self-awareness so paul one of the things i wanted to 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 follow up with that is i've got a lot of people who say they want they want to meditate and all of all of that kind of stuff and so they'll get an app and it's also guided meditation I said, well, that's that's pretty good, but I'm not sure that when you're going down the 18th fairway and you're trying to close out a tournament, you're going to be listening to some sonorous, golden throat voice leading you through a meditation, or you're dealing with a situation with your daughter wanting to scream at you in your kitchen, that... I think what's what we're really working on is that self-awareness of what's going on. And maybe I need to shift what's going on. Maybe become aware that I'm focused on the outcome of this tournament as opposed to, say, being in the process of hitting that shot. And if you're not aware of what's going on, then you cannot respond. So yeah. that's my that's that's my sense of it. What's yours? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I agree with you. Um, I think those those apps are great things to introduce people. Um, <clears throat> one, of the, one of the things I see with meditation is people think, oh, I, I need to calm down. I'm going to go meditate. And, and it's like it's not necessarily the, the core purpose of it to me. The, the core purpose of it is to help people enhance their ability to be aware of what they're doing with their attention, not necessarily with their mind, but with their attention. Mm-hmm. So being able to... No, oh, I've, I've my attention's gone into something in the future versus keeping it here in this present moment. So I'm going to look at the trees instead, mm-hmm. and just being being able to self monitor that way. So when you when you meditate with you know those guided meditations, and there is a place for those things for sure. Um, sometimes that makes you reliant on something external to you, which, like you said, Tim, doesn't doesn't help serve the purpose when you don't have something outside of you reminding you. It creates a dependency. Let's connect. I mean, you know, we've talked quite a bit, so I won't go into it too much here about what NeuroPeak does. It's almost like uh, inadvertent meditation through monitoring or precision breathing. But what the effect is, and I think it's similar with meditation, is the idea of bringing yourself back to the present. And that is a practice. You know, they talk about the, the, the practice of meditation. It sort of comes down to, are you able to notice... When your mind's wandering, can you bring it back to the present? And to Tim's example, and, and it's a good one, uh, How does? because that's what everyone wants. One of the things we've learned over 200 episodes is that golfers, no matter how esoteric or entertaining we can be, and we can, what they really want is, okay, yeah, yeah, but how's that going to help me? And I'm playing my golf. And what I would say is, the, the idea of being in a golf situation where either it's not going well or it is going too well or you realize you're having a, a good tournament, etc. When you notice those things, this is one, another Doolin thing, you're going to think them. <clears throat> it's what you do with that information that is important. 
and and in those moments where you think I could win this tournament, you can acknowledge the thought and like meditation, bring it back to, all right, now what do I do? What am I going to do yep. now? Yeah. And I think that kind of brings it the neuro peak, the meditation and the sort of physical manifestation and application of it. 100%. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And again, developing that independence, those all the feedback devices that are available to, you know, read brain waves and HR or I'm going to say heart rate, heart rate variability. variability those, yep. Yeah. All of those different things are, are wonderful um, to develop awareness. And, and, and they're essential because, you know, back in the day with without those instruments, sometimes you needed like, a, you know, a guru um, with you to say, hey, you're doing this, you're doing that to, to, to help you develop that awareness and fill in those gaps. And uh, these days it's it's difficult to have those uh, uh, those people around you all the time. So these instruments help that uh, a great deal. And, I mm-hmm. would, you know, anyone who's interested in that, I would suggest, you know, take advantage of those types of technologies they're amazing Mm -hmm. well one of the things too around again it comes back to awareness of what's what's happening in that moment and i'll go back to years ago you and i played at your golf club uh brampton golf club when you were there and i think it was the first time that i played with you and um i think i had a wedge shot and hit a shank and i yelled fuck and you know, I was just really upset, and I, I was going into the shot, the next shot, really quickly, and you just yelled, stop! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Tim, just take a moment. Maybe you could breathe. Like, you didn't give me all this load of instruction or anything like that. But just saying stop helped me become aware of the state I was in. Yeah. And now I could just kind of step back and respond rather than do my normal react thing. So, again, it's still in the same territory is that unless we are aware of what's happening, we can't respond. And I think that is just comes back in this whole thing we're talking about is the the is awareness. And I think that just comes from experience and doing it more and more and more. Yeah. And man, it's work. Like oh, yeah. you, you, this just doesn't go like, oh, I think I'll be more aware of my state or be aware of my, uh, you know, my, whatever um, internal dialogue I have going on. Oh yeah, let's just let's just do that tomorrow. Um, that's like saying, you know what? I think I'm going to make this huge swing change. Looking forward to tomorrow's round. <laughs> that's <Yeah. right>. <laughs> totally. <laughs> You know, and I also wonder if, uh, and, and when we asked uh, off the top of the show about, you know, what's new, not only with you, but in the world of what you do, and I, and I loved your answer to that, and I think it's been, you know, you hear ads on uh, mainstream radio and television now for therapists and, you know, to reach out if you need help. So it's become more widely accepted to seek some intervention if you're not feeling mentally up to uh to snuff but in the world of athletics and golf it's very accepted so even when we all first met you me in particular i would i didn't tell anybody for a while that i was working with someone like you because i thought oh, does that make me seem weak and now your name in a, my circle of people it, it comes up all the time so having said all that when you work with your tour players now is it really just kind of what you've been preaching all along and then monitoring their progress or are there if you could think maybe of one or two things like 
This is what I remind them. This is some of the things we talk about. This is if they have a big tournament or here's what's, you know, here's what I want you to be aware of. Any of all, any or all of those things. What a, I try to focus on <clears throat> fundamentals and principles versus, you know, stylistic types of things in, in, in the work. So from that standpoint, it hasn't changed much. Um, some of the language I use around it has changed. Um, essentially, what it comes down to is if you have enough self-awareness to be aware of when I'm going to I'm going to explain this because I've talked to you guys probably about this before, but the, the term narrative. So a narrative is like if, if you have a, if you're playing, if you're watching a movie and there's a narrator, the narrator is making comments about the, the unfolding of what's going on mm-hmm. in, the, in the movie or, or whatever. We all have a narrative that runs and that's basically the ego jumping in, having a story about who, like, like Howard, you were saying you shot 67 the other day and you were aware that your narrative was jumping in and going, who, well, this, you know, this could turn into a 66. I've never been that low and yada, yada. Um, the, the, the problem is when we don't have awareness of the narrative, it, it hijacks us so that we, we believe that narrative is real. We're immersed in it as if we're a character in the, in the movie versus stepping aside and going, well, this is just, this is just a bunch of, you know, crap that's coming out. I I don't know why this is happening. I don't care why it's happening. It's just not real Mm -hmm. and start to recognize that those, those narratives really aren't anything more than just our imagination running, running wild. Let me just jump in if I can and and interject. I'll I'll talk about the rounds later after Paul's done, but I would tell you one thing, all golfers do this and I call it creating the story as it's happening. And I can tell Mm -hmm. you for me, sometimes it'll happen on the first hole, you know, I'll three putt a hole or a, or if I birdie it, I start creating, a story that I might want to share with Tim or my friend Paul. But but I've been doing a lot of reading and work around this recently, which is to recognize that narrative or the story while it's happening and to let it go, to acknowledge that it happened and then to not create the story of the day while the day is still going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because that, that interferes with our ability to do what we need to do to have a story to tell later. Yes, and so and so it's like hey i'm building the story right now why would i tell it while i'm while i'm building it right yeah so um and that's that's just you know again being in the moment because the the mind the mind only processes past and future they cannot process the present moment so when you're aware that there is something that's either future or past based in terms of a narrative and you just recognize it and like you said just bring it back and this is where this is where the uh, routine comes in. I have to just get back to do what I do. Mm-hmm. So I'm <clears throat> right now I'm in the middle of preparing for a shot. I'm collecting information about the wind. The importance of this shot at the end of the tournament as which would be part of the narrative has nothing to do with me collecting this information. So let me just collect the information. Let me do my swing rehearsal. Let me visualize my shot. Let me get myself set up. Those are all tasks you can do and immerse yourself in the moment. And when you do that on a regular basis, when you practice and when you play and it becomes consistent, it becomes very reliable under pressure. So it's easier to transcend the narrative by immersing yourself in the task itself. Yeah. And man, we, this whole story narrative thing is something that we certainly, I do in my life constantly. You know, I get a story going, Hey, I'm killing it. Or I suck at this or I'm not very good. I'll put a label on myself in terms of, you know, as say a business person or, or whatever I'm doing. And 
to me, it's how golf intersects with life and life intersects with golf is that it's an awareness of being caught in these narratives, which are all, as you said, all tied to the past. It's all tied there. And so do you find that, Paul, a lot of your work, because I'll find I certainly know with mine, I'll have some clients and they come to me through golf and then we might go through talking about just no golf stuff for like three months or so or what a time period of it. It's just life stuff, relationship stuff, awareness, just the stuff that goes on in their minds. And it's really quite amazing how, as I say, golf and life intersects like that. Yeah, I think they're relatively inseparable. There's certain things in certain situations that are stronger behaviors than others. But yeah, I I completely agree. Um, How you do golf is going to be how you do an awful lot of the things in your life. And uh, so from that standpoint, golf's golf's a great crucible to do it all because, man, you can hide from a lot of stuff in life. You can you can lie to yourself. You can lie to other people. You can't hide from golf. It's just right. It's it's too raw. So that's why golf is, I think, an amazing game that way. It's it's the only game. It's it's a game where you're the only one that's responsible and you can't put the blame on anything or anybody for anything you do in terms of your actions. You know, it's kind of fashionable to say, uh, you know, golf, uh, the game builds characters and then, of course, character. And then, of course, the corollary is a lot of people. They mentioned this last night that they Paul McGinley said is more of a game there reveals character but i would also my my slash mark there reveals slash exposes because yeah yeah, in a positive way it reveals character but in a negative way it exposes your character and what you think about yourself and you guys deal with this more than me obviously talk is because there's a lot of conversations around a man men especially and our ego of wanting to distance ourselves from the pain and i say that word the pain of a what a what a bad golf shot and what a bad round says about us um i've been working with this uh, woman in the state she's fantastic and she has this great phrase she goes what what that reveals about you is is you don't want to feel bad you don't want to you want to avoid feeling bad and a bad round makes us feel bad and for people if you don't and there's no one who who's played this game that hasn't felt that 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 shame around a bad round but again as you guys say it's just a story we're telling ourselves no one really gives a shit yeah the the narrative hurts the 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 bad round doesn't hurt the narrative hurts no and 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 what i tell myself about the bad yeah what hurts about it is i have to feel a lot of us and i went through this it it makes us feel we don't get to feel good about ourselves for some reason but this is how we all this is how we all uh, grow. It's all through hard experience. As a friend of mine said, and I've said it on the show a few times, I never learned anything on a good day. No. <laughs> and, and and that's how but that's why it's it's important such so important to have a perspective on this game. And here's my first uh, <laughs> first comment of Fred Shoemaker, take a drink. Um, that Fred says, you know, um if you shoot 67, everything's great. But couldn't you shoot 83 and walk off the golf course and go like, wow, I learned so much more about myself today. I have more awareness about me that I can take forward now. And I think that's so much about in life. Stuff happens, and that's where the learning happens. So, But our tendency, uh, it's a very general comment, is that we push that shit away. We don't want discomfort. We don't want the bad narrative. 
make that shit go away. So what I'll do, I'll pour alcohol on it. I'll get busy. And I'll just numb myself. But that's really where the learning happens is when the bad shit happens. Howard, you said something earlier I'd, well, I'll pick up on. Um, <clears throat> feeling we want to feel good about ourselves. I, I, I can't. I'm paraphrasing what you said because um, that's ultimately just like, hey, if I if I shoot a good score, then I'll feel good about myself. I get so to feel good, yeah, yeah. And that's so that's people are like, okay, so what do I? How do I feel good about myself when I have a shitty round? So, um, John, you guys, I'm sure you guys have heard John Wooden before. Oh yeah, um, class uh, the basketball coach, the legendary basketball coach. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, just his track record. I think he won 10 of 12 NCAA championships. This is back in the 70s, 60s and 70s or something like that. Um, he had a definition of success that I, everybody I work with, I suggest, you know, I give it to them and say, I suggest you to create your own version of this because mm-hmm. the you can feel good about yourself every day. You're not always going to feel good about your golf every day and keeping a separation between those. So you have to have a definition of success. So his definition of success is, Success is peace of mind attained only through self-satisfaction and knowing you did, you made the effort mm-hmm. to do the best which you're capable of. Yeah. And then, you know, people will listen to that. And if you're pretty ego-driven, you're going to go, oh, isn't that nice? That's <laughs> right. Oh, good for you, John Wooden. Right. But those are also the people that are going to be neurotic in the game yeah. because they're, they're, they've been hijacked by the ego. And the ego feels good about itself for the outcomes. You have to feel good about yourself as a golfer. For something else and that can include you know i part of doing my best is learning everything i can from what goes poorly well and one of the things that I, there's two things i'll quickly say one is uh and this came up a few shows ago but i i really believe this and it's what i've dedicated the last couple of years to which is if you're looking to get self-confidence from results you're always going to be at the mercy of what those results are. It's funny you brought up those two numbers, 67 and 83, because three weeks ago, I played a um, you know pretty big tournament for me. Not that there's any tournaments bigger than others, but I played a significant, I played a significant event, and I, I talked about it on the show, Paul. I, out of character, I made a bad decision late in a qualifier, and I made a big number um, and then I didn't qualify the number I so I shot 83 with a nine on the fourth last hole. But as I was driving home from the qualifier, I was in a great mood. And here's why. Because I did everything right that day in terms of my process. Great warm up, did all the tournament things I like to prepare. I was in, you know, I, I was fully ready. And, and I, just made, I just had a wobble there. You know, my golf brain hadn't quite woken up, but the rest of the round was great. I was proud of how I finished. The guy that was in my group was like, you know, felt bad. But I, I literally decided, on, that's, this is the point I'm going to make. We all can decide, even us golfers, and I was the worst you guys ever met. We can all decide what the experience is is for us. And I decided that day that I did so many good tournament things correctly, but for about 12 minutes. I so I just so I deemed it a success. Now, conversely, we're going to talk about this a little bit more. I recently shot 5 under on a round of golf. I can tell you that not everything went great that day. Yeah, a lot of things did, but not everything. But because of that experience, of, I've decided how, I will, how I'm going to look at the results on any given day. 
So the the 67, yeah, was a better score, but I felt pretty good after the 83. Not much different than I did after the 67. And the other thing is, the same number of people gave a shit about it, which isn't that, (laughs) which really isn't that many. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Well, there you go. You know, too many people play the game, and we've both, we've all, I swear, all three of us have been around it, where they just feel bad if the score doesn't somehow match up. And even the few guys that I work with in my decade group, I always say the same thing. Listen, man, on any given day, there's going to be the vagaries of golf and the, and the variances will show up. But you can, you don't, you can, your process can be consistent. The, the idea, and then it's been around for hundreds of years that your golf swing can be is where most of us get screwed up. You know, I mean, one of the biggest challenges, I think, and barriers to that is is just golf culture itself. Yeah. Um, just just on course golf culture. Hey, nice shot. Ooh, another birdie. Way to go. Mm-hmm. What'd you shoot today? Hey, would uh, you know, how'd you do in that tournament? Um, boy, good swing. All the you know, I call those public victories. Those are things everyone can identify as a victory. And the private victories are not even acknowledged. It's like, hey, did you did you stick with your process today? Did you you know, did you uh Man, did you eat enough on the golf course? Nobody's like, yeah, man, I saw you have that bar on seven. This is awesome. It's like, <laughs> no, it's it's like, hey, did you hit the shot that you needed to hit? How does your swing look? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they'll comment on, hey, you freaked out on I mean, everybody that, you know, doesn't really know about this type of work. They think, no, I'm a really good mentally. I don't get I don't throw clubs anymore. I've really come along mentally versus, yeah, but you're boiling inside. So what's the difference? Um, so, you know, when, when people really start to understand what this is, this is, this is a very different thing than the visible stuff that the byproduct is some of the visible or, or public victories are going to be, um, different, but the private victories lead to the public victories. And that's the most important thing people have to understand is when you anchor yourself in those things that aren't going to be socially reinforced, um, at all that you've got to make sure that you are disciplined to do this work. And that's why it's so challenging is that you're pretty much on your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up in essence golf culture because in, in the culture that we live in, in this broader culture, what we get all the time is about achievement and results. and, And are you maxing out on your potential? Things like that. Are you driving the right car? Are you are you working your way towards a promotion? Is your handicap going down? All that kind of. I remember we had Judson Brewer on our uh, podcast years ago, and he said, in essence, looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> looking for that you'll get. I'll be happy when I'll get this. You know, I'll be happy when I you know win a tournament. I'll be happy when I win two tournaments. But happiness doesn't come that way. It's an inside job, and so I think that we, that. But it's again. Not to throw the culture all, it's all to blame, but we do operate within this macro culture that says, look good, make sure you look good, competent, look like you got a good swing, and you know how to say the right things, and you make the right score, and all that kind of stuff. And I think as you mature, and maybe I'll reflect back this one back to Howard, I have a sense of what's going on for you around this, whether it's 67 or 83, is some experience and some maturity, 
and you just have some perspective of what's really important or what makes you happy. And only Jim, I got to ask, wait, why wait. are you asking Howard? <laughs> no, no, I was gonna, uh, you got there too fast. <laughs> I was going to say it took 201 that episodes. perfect. 201 episodes for the name Howard and Maturity to be said in the same sentence. Fuck you, Doolin. We were both, we, were both, <laughs> we couldn't have gone there fast enough. Perfectly. Oh my God. Both of us are running for that at the same time. <laughs> I got it first. You fucker. Um, well, it is, you know, like, listen, I mean, I look back at the last six years, uh, the last uh, eight years for Paul and I, because I started working with Doolin even before I'd met uh, Timmy. But it is, you know what it is? It, it's a maturation of my approach because, and I just talked to Paul briefly before we started. I said, you know, I've just gotten more used to because of the experiences I've had and the work, you know, I'm, you know, I'm to, you know, flex or whatever, but I put a lot of work into it. And I'm not talking yeah, about yeah. my golf swing. You know, I took it very seriously and I've done everything I can to override my base instincts of immaturity and petulance and ego based decisions and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, if two people in my life that know that, very few know it better than you guys. And so, yeah, whatever maturation there's been, and there's only been a tiny bit, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, cause you know, I'm both, uh, I'm mature like a child, but when it comes to the game, my, my approach is matured because I know that if I shoot and I've had some high scores this spring in the last three weeks, my golf brain has definitely woken up. And also, you know, being our age, you know, it was cold in me. <laughs> I was wearing four layers. It was cold and windy and shitty every day. And so, yeah, it took me a while to get going. But I can tell you, my last three weeks of scores are ridiculous. They've just all started to plummet again because I go out there every day. I'm not worried about what will I shoot or what will people think about me. All I do is I go, okay, here's the process that uh, how I approach this. See how that works today. I don't even talk, I'm not talking about my golf swing. I'm talking about how I work or my way around a golf experience. And yeah. it doesn't always yeah, work out. Your finger on it, man. Say again. I think that's you, you put your finger on it right there. It's what do I need to do? How can how am I doing what I'm doing? Right. That that will hopefully produce the results. And let's let's face it. We want those results. I mean, it's not that the results are bad. Of course, that's awesome. It's like you shoot a 67. It's like you celebrate it, but you celebrate something different about it. It's like you celebrate what you did to get there versus, oh, I had a good day and I don't know why, but man, I feel good about myself because I shot 67. I don't think I can duplicate it, but hey. I feel good about myself about some random day that happened. Yeah. Yeehaw. yeehaw. Well, uh, let's, we're going to wrap you up. I'll just, final thing I'll say on this is, and, and again, it's a decade thing, but it's also a golf thing. If you don't know what a good shot is, how are you ever going to know you hit it? Like, yeah, and, right. and that's one of the things they talk a lot about in decade about the idea of expectation management. And as I said to a guy I was playing with yesterday, I said, you know, if you hit a good shot, if you hit a shot from 150 yards, blah, 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 and it hits the green for your handicap level, that's amazing. But if you don't know that, and I didn't know it, I didn't know what a good shot, there's a perfect thing for me. I didn't know what a good shot was. And that's why I was always at the, you know, sort of at the mercy of whatever. It had to be a perfect shot for me to understand that it was a good shot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it had yeah, to be. It didn't perfect. have anything to do with like you hit it exactly at your target. Yeah, solid hit, all of that. It's yep. a, it's a different thing. Yep, completely. I'll tell you who's yep, a different sure. thing is this uh, Paul Doolin. I don't know how we were so lucky to 
coming to his uh, contact, but we are. Um, I, we, we said you, your very first show is March 12th, but when I was doing a... 2016. 2016. <laughs> and I was going through the shows last week in preparation for show 200, and I saw a few names, and you're one of the most frequent guests we've had, and, and today is another reason why, and man, we're just so grateful, and thank you very much. Uh, me too. I love doing this. This is a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Paul. And how dare you say I'm mature? I'll get you for that. (laughs) Considering some of the conversations away from golf you and I have had, that took a lot for you to say, didn't it? (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was was too easy. Good to see you guys. All right, Paul. Good to see you, Paul. It's Paul Doolin. He's a mental performance coach. You know, know, listen, there's no doubt that we're lucky to be uh, able to contact a guy like him. I've, I've said it a few times, probably every time he's come out. He is uh, one of the key reasons I, I went into doing this work. I started, Casey introduced me to him. Um, he started to coach me, and I started to get a sense of, hey, I could do this. And so, yeah, I owe him so much. I'm so grateful I owe him a, a big debt. I don't know what the hell I could pay him. <laughs> I don't think it matters. Um <laughs> I've got to. Uh, I got about fifteen more minutes, and then I got to get going. I got to drop Stan off, um, and then I'm on my way. I played a lot of golf the last uh, last few weeks in a row. I, I can't remember on show two hundred if we talked about the tournament. I can't remember. Did I talk about coming in second at that tournament last week? Uh, no, you didn't. No, um, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> I, anyway. Um, yeah, I came second. I think, no, I think it'd be cool because yeah. I, I think it'd be a good learning moment for our for our faithful listeners who've been with us now two hundred one episodes. Um, well, I, I just kinda, you didn't start off well, did you? No, I was going to say like it was one of those things where I was in a big. You know, these are tournaments. I like top thirty guys in my age category, and the top fifty or sixty guys in the mid M category. And there were some big names there, and one of the guys in my group finished fourth last year at the Ontario Senior M. So they're all good players. I did. I, I did. It's not that I didn't start off well. It's that I, you know, I, I played very nicely in a tournament for the first time this year and finished second. I shot uh, 75 on a golf course I'd never seen before. A very difficult course. Made a couple birdies, made an eagle. But it was just, I knew what was coming. I, I knew that I had some good golf coming. And that's a weird, I just want to talk a little bit more about that. Hmm. We all dwell on how negative things are in our golf game. You know, outside of you and a few guys I know like you and I, Kent Osborne and Fawcett and a few guys like that, most of the men we play with, the way they talk about their golf game, it's either it's horrible or they're embarrassed that they're playing well. There's only two, you know what I mean? They never, do you know what I mean? They're always kind of in a situation where either they're playing really well and they're sheepish about it. And to mm-hmm. Doolin's point, they don't really know why. Or they're playing more more often. It's I got on the range last Saturday morning for one of our, like I have a club tournament every Saturday. And I was playing with this guy. I go, hey, Bruce, how's it going? He goes, terrible. I'm just playing terrible. I go, dude, you haven't hit one shot today. Like, and guys are, you know, they know I'm that guy. And he started laughed. I go, dude, how do you know you're playing terrible? Because today's brand new day. You know, but... I don't know if you agree with that. Most golfers that we hang around with, they don't talk about their games the way we do. They don't talk about the game the way we do. There's still, unfortunately, although there's a, a greater awareness of, of, say, mental health, 
and the role that vulnerability plays in that. Yes. But there's still a large component of the population, especially male, where it's not cool to talk about how you're killing it, how things are going great. I played, but rather it's, it's, it's acceptable to talk about when things are shitty. Oh man, how to go? Oh, three three putts on the back nine. You can. Mm-hmm. I couldn't sink a thing. It, it's very weird how it's more acceptable to talk about the bad shit because I think what there is is a perception of well, I don't want to be boasting about what's going on and how everything is going great for me. Yeah, good point. Um, because we do have that. It, that happens especially in. Um, in uh, in Canada and Australia, and the best phrase I've heard for it's called tall poppy syndrome. Mm-hmm. So if you talk about yourself in in glowing terms, of says, well, we need to cut him down a bit, and so we're afraid of putting ourselves kind of out there. And so it's more acceptable to talk about the shit than to talk about the good. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and yes, I think you're right. It is more acceptable, but also it, there's that. I, I kind of more like think that golfers. I don't know. It's like almost, you know, I, I, my, my thing last year was ask 100 golfers how they're playing and 99 tell you how they're swinging. But even yeah. golfers that when they talk about how they're playing in the terms that we discuss, it's almost like they don't want to admit or they don't want to talk about successes so much because I think they're a little nervous that it's, it's transitory, which it Fleeting. is. Fleeting, yeah. Which, of course, it is. You know, we all have moments during a golf season, during our lives, where we're trending in one way or the other, you know, the valleys and the, and the peaks. And, you know, again, I wish I could find that Tom Watson quote that I've, I've thought about several times since I've known you. But basically, he was saying that, you know, golf will always come back to you, you know, because we all have periods where it's not quite going well. It's how you react in those periods. If you're process oriented, which I've developed then you kind of know, like, you know, a few, three, four weeks ago, I was playing really well. I was hitting it really, really well, both playing and swinging. And I wasn't making any birdies, but I was, I was getting so close. I'd have rounds where three, I told you, I'd have three or four putts that just slipped out, that just slid by, that were just good putts. And I kept looking at it this way, man, am I going to start filling that thing up sooner than later because of the variance of the game? And I can tell you I've made more birdies in the last seven rounds than I made all season prior to that. I've had rounds, Timmy, where I've made four and five birdies multiple times now. Nothing was different except for those putts that were lipping out, were lipping in. And that's it. And a little th- the reason I mention it, a little thing like that, you start creating a story. A person could say, oh, I can't putt. I, nothing ever goes my way. I only have bad luck. You know, all the things we say. When in reality, if you can be a little more detached, you look at it like, well, that's happening now, but I'm doing, my process is good. I was working on my putting. My stroke was feeling good. My distance control was nice because I wasn't three putting. I just wasn't sinking anything. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember uh, being at a U.S. Open in the 90s and Payne Stewart uh, was having a, a he was coming close, but he wasn't winning majors, and he just said, "You know what? I just keep knocking on that door, mm-hmm. and one day it will open." And it opened for him at Pinehurst number two, and then you know, unfortunately, he passed away a few years later. But you contrast that to someone who has 
expectations. You know, I'm supposed to do this. And expectations is about what we believe should happen. Mm-hmm. If this happens, it is good. If this happens, it is bad. And most of the time, we have we ha- we can influence things, but we can't control them. So when when I can have a perspective more like a Payne Stewart, you know, if I just keep doing these things, keep making good putts, follow my process, then things will happen. But that whole thing about expectations can really throw us off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think for Rory McIlroy, really, I mean, it could have gone either way on Sunday in the RBC, which, by the way, was so exciting. Yeah, Man, it was that great. Was phenomenal to watch and the atmosphere and all that. We could, that's a whole other subject. No, I don't mind. But, you know, we can talk. I really admit, I think it looked, I really think it looked good on the PGA oh, Tour. It looked awesome, particularly the same week the Live Tour. Yeah. Thing he started. Well, that's what I mean. Oh it, it looked good like, on them, and and just the way the camera from like f- following Rory in the third round and the, especially the fourth round when everyone comes around the green, it was following Rory, and you see the grandstands packed with people mm-hmm. waving, shouting. Man, that had major feel all over it. It was, it was you know, and, and as a Canadian, I'll tell you, I felt proud, and I, f- I just kind of choked up. Yeah, me. I loved it. Yeah. Um, I uh, you know they couldn't have asked for a better final round six under six under eight under you know you got three of the top players in your sport you know all shooting you know sixty two or sixty four is pretty impressive head to head head to head making great shots oh yeah yeah and then, you know you could just see it on uh, Justin Thomas's face when he hugged Rory at the end they knew what that meant. It totally. Um, we should do, uh, maybe next week we'll do that, because I want to start wrapping this up, but maybe next week we'll take a few minutes to talk about our thoughts on this uh, thing, because I think we should do that as a show. And maybe get, oh, yeah, absolutely. Maybe and, 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 we'll reach out to uh, a fella that we know, maybe Weeksy or somebody like that. Great idea. Um, just to have sort of the swing thoughts, live golf v the PGA Tour Roundtable, because I think that would be interesting for folks. It certainly would, because we're recording this on Wednesday, and this podcast goes live second round at the U.S. Open. Yeah. And it's still, it's the dominant. Oh, yeah. It's the dominant thing. And and Brooks Kepka was throwing oh, it back at the oh, media. No, Why no, do you keep bringing this up? No, and, bro, I watched it again last night. I watched, I, I, I heard it, I should say, and then I watched it. He's a, first of all, I hate him, as you know. <laughs> I hate the guy. I think he's a dick. And I think he's nowhere near as cool as he thinks he is. Secondly, he's lying. You just see it on his face. And why do you guys keep talking about this? He was asked directly, basically, are you going to go to this league? I'm so tired of this conversation. All the other guys that were asked about it, unequivocally, or is that the word? We're very adamant. You're close enough. Thank you. (laughs) Now you're like, spell check would get that. It was close. We had all the word, all the letters were around the, but you know what I mean. Like cause sometimes you put in a word on and spell checks. Like I don't know what you're trying to say there, Howard. There's you know there's not enough of the letters for me to fill it in. But Howard, anyway, Howard, finish your thought on Kepka. <laughs> I don't like Kepka, but he's lying, and I guarantee you this is oh, a, yeah. a swing thought, a GSL guarantee. I guarantee you that he's the next big signing. Because mm. he's a dick. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, GSL has made, made a decision and pronounced it to He's, the world. No, it's true. Everyone thinks it. Uh, I'm just saying it. Um, <laughs> I'll just tell you uh, very quickly. Uh, I had my personal best at um, Glen Karen. I've shot lower. My personal best was 66 last year. 
I've shot 67 a bunch of times, you know, a bunch, five times. But I've never shot that low at Glencairn. My low at Glencairn last year was 68. Shot 68, 68 once, 69 twice. Shot a few 71. So I was under par, you know, a fair bit of times there at Glencairn. But uh, on Monday, playing with a guy that uh, I put on, I put on to a Doolin, so a Doolin guy, a very good player himself. He shot seventy four. We we took on wow. these two. We took on two guys in a match, and I this is a fun match against an eighteen and a twenty handicap. So we were, the whole joke was we had to give you guys so many shots. I I didn't think we'd have any chance, but uh, just quickly I hit. You know, 17 out of 18 greens in regulation. I didn't miss a green until the 12th hole. I was three under through nine, four under through 11. I hit, I think I hit 12 fairways. Um, I made five birdies. I missed birdieing a really easy, the 17th hole is a short par five, and I missed making birdie, and I got, and I was pissed off. There's a thing that Paul taught me. You can get pissed off. If you saw me miss that putt, I did. I literally went, fuck. Like, I was mad because that was a great opportunity to keep going. I, was still, wanting, I still wanted to make more birdies. Um, but when I, I got onto the next tee, I hit a couple of nice shots, and I had a 12-foot putt at the end for 67, and I knew what it was for. But I... And as I was walking up to the green, I had all those thoughts. Hey, this is great. Uh, the worst I'm going to shoot is 68. I can tell you. Uh, it's totally. been a great... All that stuff went through my head. And then when I got to the green, I went, okay, that's, that's fine. But what are you going to do now? And I, I went through my whole process. But the, and the only thing I did differently is I said to myself before I took it back, just give this a chance. And what that means to me is... Like, don't wave at it. I didn't care if I missed it, but like a, a couple, it was 12 feet, 14 feet maybe. Mm. But I, I didn't, I knew I wasn't going to hit it eight feet by. So I wanted to say, okay, just give it a shot. Give it a chance. And that gave me the, the energy to, to, to hit it as opposed to like hope it goes in. And it was one of those putts you dream of. As soon as it left my putter, I knew it was in. It never left the line and it went in with speed. And then everyone got excited and such. And it was like, again, you know, watching a guy pitch a no-hitter. They didn't want to say anything. No one wanted to mention how many under par. We were having a drink after. And I said, dudes, I know you knew, but I wanted you to know I did too. Because apparently four or five holes earlier, they're like, do you guys know that Humble's four under par? <laughs> and, and I knew all that. But what experience has taught me, and this is the final thing I'll say about it, is what experience has taught me is... I know how to. I know how I'm going to feel now in those situations. There's many times I've been in a similar situation, two or three under late in the round, and I've seen the clubhouse and wished I were in it. <laughs> I did. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. totally. You know, I wanted the round to be over. Yeah. Oh, I get that. But the golden nugget of that is that through your experience, you yes. know how you're going to feel, and it's all relative. Yeah. I mean, like you're, you've been working towards just through how your game's been getting better and doing work around that mental side, but working on your game, all that stuff decade, it's all been trending towards you being able to shoot in the 60s. Um, But it's not dissimilar for anyone else, whether they're trying to break 110, 100, 90, 80, 70, whatever. What's the greatest teacher? Your experience. And becoming aware of what's happening to me right now. One of the things... that um, I've come to really understand because 
I always sought knowledge. I thought if I learned more, if I knew this, it's like what Doolin said. You think like, oh, if I do this, if I do this tomorrow in my golf game and change my swing, I'll automatically. That's <laughs> right. Everything will no, be fine. No, that's not going to happen. In the experience, there's stuff going on underneath in our subconscious, all that stuff that we're not even aware of, and particularly how it feels. And so, whether, again, whether you're trying to break 110 for the first time or shoot 70, until you start to get some more experience, mm-hmm. and I'll just be as brief as I can. No, no, here. I, I'm going to keep I going. Remember the first, I remember the first time I had a chance to break 80, long, long time ago. And I bought a four footer for par. And I missed it. And I was so, uh, oh, I was upset, took the ball and threw it in the pod mm. the whole nine yards. And then I finally did shoot 79. And then started to shoot 78, 77. And it, because I had the experience, I knew what it felt like. I knew mm-hmm. what I needed to do. And Well, so, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, experience, is, experience is the best teacher. And I'm going to say something. And again, guys, I roll their eyes. But I can tell you that it, it isn't as, yeah, it was exciting not as exciting as it was five or six times ago, but it's exciting now in a manageable sense. I had this conversation with Charlie Fitz last night, who, by the way, won the Ontario uh, match play because he's just an awesome golfer. Did like this week? Last week. Oh, my God. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. You know, that's, it's funny because... Oh, that's awesome. Just quickly, I'll tell you, part of the conversation with Fitz was you know, he took me through his rounds and he nice. said, you know, it's funny he told a great story. He said, I didn't feel like I played all that well. And yet he won every match he played in. And I said, well, what do you mean, Charlie? He says, well, and this is Charlie, who does this for yeah. a living. He goes, yeah, my swing felt a little bit weird, but you know, my short game was good and putted well. I'm like, well, dude, that's also part of playing well. And he kind of went, yeah, I guess you're right. Anyway, and he described, the, he described they had to go to a playoff, and he, he didn't hit a very good shot, but the other guy, blah, blah, blah. But I... Even at his level, he felt like he didn't have his A game. But I said, Charlie, in match play, you don't have to shoot 67. You just have to beat that guy no matter what the round. Because he told me, he said, last year in the match play, he said, I was under par every round and, and I just went through it like no problem. He said, in this year's match play in six rounds, he said, I think I was only under par once. The rest of the time, I just played well enough to win. I go, but but both of those are playing well, you know, like mm-hmm. even he thought, well, my swing was a bit loose. Listen, man, if you, I, I, again, I can't stress this enough. If you saw some of the shots I hit on Monday, yes, there were a lot of them that were very good. And I was controlling my ball well, meaning I hit a lot of fairways and I obviously hit a lot of greens. But there were a couple shots, a couple of tee shots that I kind of heel cut, cut a little bit, just happened to hit it in the right spot. There was a three wood that I kind of came up and it came out really low, but the path was good. So it was straight. Like it wasn't well hit. It just didn't get me in trouble. Mm-hmm. And and I'll finish by saying, I know it would be great. You can lie. You'd love to shoot 67, but whatever number that is a special one to you, what you'll find is on those days of if it's 75 and you normally shoot 82, it just doesn't feel much different. On Saturday at, at our course, we have this tournament, and I went out and I had the low round of the day. I shot 72. And I can tell you that the 72 I shot Saturday, and I shot 72 again yesterday, didn't feel much different than shooting five better. I just had a couple things go my way. I sank a couple longer putts. I sank two that were really long, like 40 footers. And, and, and they just went in instead of lipping out. 
But the rest of my game, you you wouldn't really have been able to pick much different from that. They sort of look the same. And that's why I say if you're an 85 shooter and you have a chance to shoot 76, you'll notice that it's not it's not that different. Yeah, and, and way, maybe a way to bring this to to a close uh, is is what I find is really interesting is that so I played a match on Monday which I happened to win. Congratulations! And I felt good. Yeah, I, I won. Uh, uh, I was up two up, and we tied on the seventeenth hole. But within a few minutes, it wasn't like yes, I won. I'm the victor, and I can't wait to you know tell the guys in the shop. None of that. It was yeah. just kind of okay. We had I had a great time with Mark. We had a we had a great time. I got to know him better. But I think the key, what I think I'm eventually trying to get to here, is that um, just as you said, it doesn't feel much different. Is that if we expect this, you know. I, I'm sure there's some people who listen going, oh, my God, could you imagine shooting 67? I'd be so happy. Well, I think you'd feel, you know, you'd feel good, all that. But I think what you're saying is that, you know, the, oh, it's almost like not everything just came up all rose and everything was no, great. Exactly. And, and, and it wasn't the, the 401 was paved with gold and everything worked out great that day. It was just like, yeah, it worked out. And you say, they, they kind of feel about the same. And that's having that, that perspective and having some experience. And and again, having, I would say, a, you might laugh like we did the maturity bit. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. <laughs> Just having yeah. a healthy ego. Oh, yeah. That, that I, oh, if yeah. I if I shoot 67, I, you know, I'm still the same guy who shot 83 the week before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, same guy. Yeah, in fact, it's funny. I was talking about this with my buddy Henrik, and I said, I'd, because he mentioned, oh, you know, I'm too bad about the 83. And I said, you know, the irony is, in many of the holes, the day I shot 83, I hit the ball better. And I'm not making this up. Then I did I on I totally Monday. get it. I think I, anyone who plays the game a lot at a, at a decent level understands that completely. There were some drives I hit the day I shot 83 that I didn't even come close to the day I shot 67. Like, I, I wasn't, it's ironic, again, you know, what golf's like. I've been driving it great this spring and, and not having a lot of success with putts going in. Been putting very well. Well, the last four or five rounds, you know, I haven't shot over 75, but my actual tee ball is just okay. Like, I'm getting it in play, but that day at Tangle Creek, I hit some great drives, like really good ones for me. Unfortunately, that nine kind of derailed me in terms of qualifying, but it, it, it's interesting what you said. The quality of the golf ball striking doesn't necessarily mean you're going to score better, which I wish I'd have known that, man. I wish you could have. Yeah, but that would, but again, to connect with what Paul was saying, that doesn't connect with any kind of narrative. Exactly. I drove the ball well, so therefore this and therefore that. No, just golf and like life are not like that. We no, just, I know. It just stuff happens, man. I know. And we got to roll with it whatever way it goes. Well, there you go. We're on our way to 300. Only 99 more uh, left. I hope that we're all doing this. I hope it won't. And the nice thing is, I know it won't take us, you know, seven years. We'll both still probably have some of our faculties. Thanks to uh, Paul. <laughs> thanks to Paul Doolin. Thanks to JW Apparel Inc. Neuropeak.com. Precision breathing. Breathing is where it's at. And you now we can't say enough about TaylorMade Golf. Go check it out at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Tim O'Connor.ca is how you get a hold of Tim. And the uh, Humble and Fred Show will be back on Monday, uh, June, whatever is uh, next Monday. Okay. I guess that's June 20th or something. Uh, that's a good guess. All right. 
Take care, everyone. Competition in other places.